Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The volume. The NBA season is in full swing, and when I can't get enough of the action on the court, I spice things up by betting on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official partner of the NBA. Right now, new customers can bet 5 bucks and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. I was looking at the lines for making the playoffs today, and you can get the Lakers at plus 115 to make the playoffs, and the Warriors, check this out, at plus 205 to make the playoffs. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app with code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. New customers can bet 5 bucks on the NBA and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778 Hope and Y or text Hope and Y to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash basketball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gambling resources. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Saturday, everybody. Hope all of you guys are having a great weekend so far. Uh, well, we had uh, what was already a pretty bizarre NBA day around the league for Rivalry Week or whatever the NBA is branding it as. We had the we had Joel Embiid duck Nikola Jokic on the road in Denver again. We had the uh, Nuggets end up in a weird dogfight with the Sixers down their three best players. We had the Clippers on the tail end of a back-to-back go into Boston and, and beat the hell out of the Celtics. And then the end of the night ended up being weirder than all of it as we had this truly bizarre 
Lakers Warriors game where the Warriors come out in the third quarter and just blitz the Lakers and then AD goes down with what looks like a bad injury as he's limping incredibly slowly back to the locker room. Then the Lakers somehow come all the way back without Anthony Davis. Then Anthony Davis returns to the game. Then we have the Lakers blow the lead right before the end of regulation, and then they do it again in double overtime. We have this weird D'Angelo Russell stretch where he turns the ball over like three times in a row and then takes a pull-up transition three that gives the Lakers the lead. Then on the final possession, we have Steve Kerr substitute Corey Joseph into the game in double overtime for a defensive sub. And then to tie it all together, we have LeBron James who has been consistently criticized by some specific people that we won't mention here uh, for not wanting to drive the basketball down the stretch of games. And uh, he does so gets a call and goes to the line, knocks down both free throws and wins it. So just truly bizarre. Uh, it, it was, it was, I had all these different notes that I had written down and, I could go on about this game for like 45 minutes, but it's pretty late. And so I want to kind of focus on some of the big things. So I'm, what I'm going to do instead is I, I'm going to give you guys my three biggest takeaways from this particular game. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about the Celtics and the Clippers. And then after that, I have some thoughts regarding the scoring outbursts we've seen around the league and some of the negative energy directed towards that, which I don't understand. And quite frankly, I think is just wrong and uh, a lot of misremembering how NBA history used to look. You guys know the drill. Before we get started, subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel. It'll mean a lot to me if you guys would take a second to scroll down and hit that subscribe button. Don't forget about our podcast feed if you're more on the podcast format type of thing. Um, wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight, it's also very important that we get ratings and reviews there. So if you guys would take a second to go onto the podcast feed and rate it and leave a review, I would really appreciate that. Don't forget about my Twitter feed at underscore Jason LT. That's where I leave the film threads uh, most mornings. And then last but not least, keep dropping mailbag questions in the YouTube comments so that we can keep hitting them throughout the rest of the season. All right, let's talk some basketball. So my three biggest takeaways from that completely absurd Lakers Warriors game. Number one, this is why I keep saying invest in LeBron and Steph. There's been a lot of, you know, uh, takes flying around the NBA surrounding the Lakers and the Warriors. And for the record, and I think you kind of saw that in this game tonight, both of these teams have been dealing with some stuff in uh, playing some really inconsistent basketball, right? Like the, the Warriors have had a lot of nights where they've looked particularly good this year. They beat the Celtics this year, right? And like, they've also had a lot of weird circumstances between the Draymond suspension and a lot of lineup stuff going on with Steve Kerr. And then on the Lakers front, they're like the the hot, cold team of the NBA. They win the in-season tournament. They have all these massive wins. They beat the Clippers twice. They have the, they beat the Suns three times. And, and then they just look awful on other nights. They lose to a Spurs team that had like three wins all season and had lost like a dozen games in a row. And they go in and lose to the Spurs. The Brooklyn Nets lose, you know, they, they win like two games in a month. And then they go into LA and beat the Lakers. So it's like both of these teams kind of are dealing with seasons that look a lot like that game where for stretches they look great and then other stretches they don't. But what I've said throughout is that at the end of the day, LeBron James and Steph Curry, in my opinion, are still, at least when you're ranking playoff players, like strictly within the aspect of the NBA playoffs, they're still in that short list of guys that can lead a team to an NBA championship. And so even though, even though, like, I'm not in the interest of trading good players just for the sake of it. I know Jonathan Kaminga's got star potential at a lot of big moments again tonight. 
another 20 plus. I think that's his sixth consecutive time going for 20 plus. But like what I keep thinking is like, but that's Steph Curry. And once again, down the stretch of the game, while LeBron was getting these contributions from Austin Reeves with transition pushes and D'Angelo Russell, although he made some mistakes, hitting big pull-up jump shots, Anthony Davis attacking around the rim, like Steph Curry's out there trying to do everything. And he got a couple of big shots, particularly from Klay Thompson. But other than that, it was a lot of just Steph Curry having to do everything. And I keep thinking, like, it doesn't have to look like this. You, you can potentially try to reinforce that. And so that's what drives that opinion. And I'm not saying I, I'm not saying I've changed my mind or anything like that as it pertains to Jonathan Kaminga. I'm just saying this is what makes it complicated. He just had 46, three and seven. Steph did. He was cooking Anthony Davis in switches. Just absolutely barbecuing him down the stretch of that game. Now, to AD's defense, he's a little hobbled with that hip injury that he had. But even with that hip injury, he's one of the best defensive players in the world. And Steph was cooking him. So that's why I keep saying like, oh, you have one of those guys? You can't win the title without one of those guys. So who gives a shit about some first round draft pick in a few years? You know, who gives a shit about what a guy can be when you have this right now? Like there, are, look at look around the league and look at how many teams have absolutely no chance to win the title because they don't have one of those guys, but they have a bunch of interesting young talent. Right? There are a lot of teams like that out there in the NBA. That's what makes this complicated. Same thing with LeBron. Like, yeah, I get it. This team has a weird basketball character. They've gone up and down all year, but you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis on your team. That that is such an incredible foundation within the NBA playoffs to make a playoff run. That that is why I keep saying like you got to go all in with these guys. You got to try to make something happen. These are the unique talents that are capable of getting you to the Larry O'Brien Trophy. They've won eight of them since 2015, guys. It is two. <laughs> they've won eight of them. Like like that 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 is why I feel this way um, about these two guys. LeBron James, 36 points. 20 rebounds and 12 assists. Completely absurd. The over-the-top shot making, once again, in overtime and in double overtime, just like confidently stepping into these tough pull-up jump shots is another one of the reasons why, like as the Lakers have been kind of up and down all year, I've been like, hmm, like Anthony Davis looks better than he has since 2020. I know he's not making all the same pull-up jump shots, but his passing is just at a complete other level from what it used to be. And so just as like an offensive fulcrum, he's just so much more versatile. And then I look at LeBron James and I'm like, he's clearly better than he was last year. And he's just stepping into these jump shots. Was so, that was a huge problem last year. The over-the-top shot making and the lack thereof for the Lakers was literally why they lost last year. They battled the Nuggets close every single game. And then at the end, Jamal Murray and Nicole Jokic made shots when LeBron James couldn't and when Anthony Davis couldn't. And so, like, yeah, there's stuff they got to work out. And we're going to talk about it in a minute as we talk about the Lakers. But, like, the bottom line is, is, like, I, I think this version of LeBron is worth investing in. And, like, down the stretch of that game, driving to the basket, drawing a foul, confidently going to the line and making both. Like he's just in, he's just in that type of position where he looks, he looks keyed up and ready for this type of run. And, and I, I just, th I just think that's worth investing in my second biggest takeaway. You can see what the Lakers are supposed to look like. We've been dealing with this issue with the Lakers starting lineup forever. 
And one of the main reasons why is I, I've kept saying is like, even as the offense has looked great and the Laker offense has taken leaps and bounds over the course of the last month, which is super encouraging for their big picture potential. But what I kept saying is you can't play LeBron or excuse me, uh, uh, Torian Prince, Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell is your one, two, three against serious basketball teams. And the main reason why is they're just way too slow and unathletic at those three spots. And in a very perimeter oriented league, that's vitally important. That speed and that athleticism, that power and force from the perimeter. And so one of the things I've been talking about is we've been talking about different versions of how to build a starting lineup. If you're going to play Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell, you have to play Jared Vanderbilt. If you're going to play Torian Prince at the three, you have to play one of your athletic guys like a Max Christie or Cam Reddish at the two, strictly because you need to have somebody to throw at a Steph Curry or at a Jamal Murray, at a at a Shea Gilgis Alexander. Austin Reeves got the Steph Curry matchup before this uh, at the beginning of this game before Jared Vanderbilt entered, and like he was getting cooked. That's not an Austin problem. That's a lineup problem. Like, like, like Torian would have got cooked too. Like, like that's the thing. Like, it, when you're structuring these lineups, I always talk about this. Like, you got to have the the responsibilities of a basketball team fulfilled on the basketball court. You have to have somebody that can guard at the point of attack. You have to have somebody that can protect the rim. You have to have somebody that can take that low man role that can help under the basket and in defensive rebounding situations. Uh, Torian Prince was minus 22 in this game and Jared Vanderbilt was plus 30. It's not that hard to figure out. Like when Jared Vanderbilt is out there next to Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell, there is a, a better fulfilling of the basketball responsibilities. Torian, Torian Prince is a bad defensive rebounder. Jared Vanderbilt is an excellent defensive re- rebounder. Torian Prince is an average point of attack defender. Jared Vanderbilt is an excellent point of attack defender. Torian Prince, his motor runs hot and cold. Jared Vanderbilt's motor is going 100%, 100% of the time. And so just from a s- simple concept of lineup construction, if you're going to play the two skill guards, you got to play Jared Vanderbilt. End of story. It's just what you have to do. And like it was so bizarre because like Darvin Ham has been galaxy braining the starting lineup all season long. And w- when this lineup was a lineup that worked at least during the regular season all year. I have concerns about that lineup in the playoffs. I've talked about them all year. But like with with this from the standpoint of the regular season, that's just the the way you have to construct lineups. You know, last game, there was a run in the final couple of minutes of the first half where they went with Vanderbilt, D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves and they promptly went on a run and then they went into the second half and Darvin Ham didn't play them at all in the second half. Like he, he was out there, he watched it happen, he watched it work, and then he didn't do it. And then in this particular game, like they go out to start the game, it's an issue. They go out to start the second half, it's a massive issue. It, it, they call a timeout early second half and they stay with Torian Prince and the lead grows. Like, uh, uh, you know, it's funny, I, I tweeted this earlier. We talked a lot about uh, potential Laker trades. They're... The one of the most common refrains that that is that I've come across in my conversations with people behind the scenes about the Lakers trade deadline across the board is like, yeah, but what if Darvin Ham just plays Torian Prince 30 minutes anyway? Like Torian Prince is a good bench wing. 
He can shoot the ball. He's really offensively skilled. He's just not a great athlete. And so you need him playing against lower-level NBA players on the perimeter. But, like, the, like, it just doesn't matter if they trade for a DeJounte Murray, if they trade for a Dorian Finney-Smith. It doesn't matter if those guys aren't actually on the floor. That, like, and, and that's where the issue is. Like, there are better guys. Rui Hachimura, Jared Vanderbilt. There are better players than Torian Prince right now that are buried behind him on the bench. And so I thought tonight was just a resounding example. A 52-point swing between those two guys. I thought that was a resounding... I shouldn't say a 52-point swing. What was it? Plus 33 to minus 20, whatever it was. But just a completely a completely flipped dynamic in the basketball game based on the difference between having a high motor athlete that can slot everybody properly. So now Austin Reeves isn't chasing Steph around. He's chasing clay around. It just slots everything properly and makes everything make more sense. So that's my second biggest takeaway. You can see what the Lakers are supposed to look like. And that, by the way, is why I keep talking about how getting a a version of Vando that is a high-motor athlete that can defend on the perimeter and also be a plus offensive player is the dream outcome. That's why I keep saying, even though I, lo- I, I like the DeJounte Murray trade idea, but that's why I prefer the Bruce Brown one. That What, what you're seeing, Bruce Brown is Jared Vanderbilt at the two-guard position. And that having him there actually makes a, Jared, uh, a, a Torian Prince more feasible at the three because he'll be playing in more achievable defensive assignments because as a lineup, you'll still hold up better at the point of attack because of Bruce Brown. Because then Torian's offensive strengths can kind of rise to the surface. I, I, I'm not even sure. I'd, I'd probably still try to play. If it, were, if it were up to me, I'd probably still play Rui at the three. But my point is, is like if Darwin is just obsessed with playing Torian Prince at the three, you got to have some other type of athlete out there. I thought tonight was a great example of that. My third biggest takeaway. You can see what the Warriors are supposed to look like. I, I put three things down, three, a list of three keys for the Warriors to look like the Warriors. Number one, Steph has to play like a superstar. A lot of the time over the course of these struggles, Steph has not. This season, he's been down across the board by almost any measure. And I don't blame him necessarily for that because it's been a shit show, for lack of a better term. He's playing with a lot of young players. I'm sure just in terms of his own belief in the team's ability to succeed, he's had some struggles there. But like what you saw tonight, because here's the thing, like I, I know the Lakers don't, uh, I know the Lakers have a lot of pessimism outside of the Laker fan base, uh, but I actually think they're a really good team when they try hard. And the Warriors held up really well against them tonight and very easily could have won that game if a couple of different things go differently. And like that, a, a, a big part of that is just having Steph Curry playing like Steph Curry. Number two, they have to defend. This is something that uh, Steve Kerr talked about in the fourth quarter interview. I, I tweeted about it in the third quarter. Andrew Wiggins... On the ball, they switched Andrew Wiggins onto D'Angelo Russell at some point in the first half. I can't remember exactly when, but they switched him onto D'Angelo Russell in the first half. And he just started ball pressuring the hell out of D'Lo and causing the Laker offense to stall. And then on the backside of it, Draymond Green just blowing up these rolls and drives from Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And the Lakers are like something like 19th or 20th, if I remember correctly, according to cleaning the glass and transition defense. But they're a good half-court defense. Even with their trash effort all year, they're still 11th in half-court defense this year, according to cleaning the glass. So like 
if you want to attack the Lakers, get out and run as much as you can. And when they went on that third quarter run, it was a steady diet of Wiggins and Draymond kind of defensive playmaking leading to these run out opportunities for the Warriors to avoid the Laker half court defense. Because in the Laker half court defense, they had a hard time getting anything unless Steph Curry was going off. So like, again, like the Warriors, we forget a lot of times when we talk about the Warriors historically, we go, we, 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 we emphasize things like, oh, it's the Splash Brothers. Oh, it's Kevin Durant. Oh, it's the death lineup, this or that. They won with defense. First and foremost, they were an excellent defensive team. Every year they won the title. The Warriors were 30th in defensive rating in January before tonight. Now, obviously, Draymond was out for most of that, but that's my point. That has to be the driving force of this team's success is if you get stuck in the half court, it's going to be a lot of Steph Curry facing multiple defenders and hedges and traps trying to make something happen. And he's a freaking magician. And so he's going to make some stuff happen. But it's just a really difficult way to win if you're not getting out into the flow that you can get into off of your defense. And then third, you have to get offensive support for Steph. In 2022, it was Jordan Poole, it was Andrew Wiggins, it was Clay Thompson, and Jordan Poole kind of fell off, and then you traded him. And Andrew Wiggins and Clay Thompson have been really, really hot and cold since the title. Wiggins mostly cold. Uh, but I thought you saw tonight, and a big part of how they were able to compete like this was getting that type of scoring support. You got 20 points each from Kaminga, from Wiggins, and from Clay Thompson. And I think Jonathan Kaminga kind of sliding into that Jordan Poole role as like the young guy that kind of gives them microwave scoring has gone a long way to helping them in that regard. But you have to have all three of those things to win. You have to have Steph playing like a star. You have to defend and you have to get some kind of scoring support. You did get all three of those today and you had a good chance to beat a really good team, especially a really good team that the Warriors match up poorly with as we saw at the end of the regular season last year and in the playoffs couple other quick things. The starting lineup. Um, when you're in a predicament like what the Warriors are in right now, which is you're a couple of games out of the play-in tournament, you can't afford to BS around. So, for instance, the one of the big reasons the Warriors lost to the Kings the other night is they started the game with Dario Saric and Kevon Looney on the floor. And... I, I was talking with Samus Fondiari from Light Years after that game. We did a post-game show that night. And that, I, I was telling him, I'm like, that's the slowest front court for a serious basketball team that I can remember seeing in almost a decade. We got to go way back to like old school Eastern Conference teams <laughs> to, 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 to try to find team Bynum Gasol type stuff. Like, you know, Il Ilgowskis and Gooden, right? Like, you got to go way back to find that type of slow-footed front court because it just doesn't work in the modern NBA with the way teams can spread you out. And the Kings are like a five-out basketball team that plays a wing at the four and a kind of more of a perimeter-oriented kind of skill big in Demonis Sabonis. And like they got ran in the first shift of both halves of that game. You can't afford to kind of spot teams' points with foolishness at this point. And that's on Steve Kerr. And to his credit, finally tonight... He goes with the Wiggins, Kaminga, Draymond starting lineup, which, if to put it simply, that's your five best players. That's your five best players. How do you not start the game with your five best players? Got to have them out there. 
And I, so I think, I think this is in a weird way, even in a loss, a sign of a positive progression. The defense looked better for stretches tonight, even though they got cooked in, in other stretches, you started the right lineup. You got Steph kind of at a higher level than he's been at in a long time. And you got some offensive support off of him, not even just from Kaminga. Uh, last thing on the Warriors, they've lost 17 games in clutch situations. That's where the game is within five with less than five minutes left. That is the second worst mark in the NBA. That is despite the fact that Steph has been completely outrageously good in the clutch. I uh, I looked up the numbers the other day because one of the callers on the on the Light Years pod came on and was saying that uh, Steph was struggling at the end of games. And I looked him up and he's like, 50-40-90, it's, it's like 50-50-90 or something like that in shooting percentages in clutch situations. So the bottom line is, is you're just not getting enough support outside of Steph Curry in clutch situations. That's been one of their biggest issues to this point. Uh, but yeah, again, I could go on about that game for like 45 minutes, but but I think, I think for right now, uh, that's enough from that completely wild game. We know what the Warriors are supposed to look like. We know what the Lakers are supposed to look like. And man, Steph Curry and LeBron James, like... There's a reason why I think there's an emotional attachment. There's a reason why I think so many people are like, hey, man, let's give it one more shot. And it's because they can do stuff like that. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. Something I've always been a big believer in. When you try to take projects on yourself, you usually don't know what you're doing. You usually end up making mistakes, and it can be a big headache. And so not only can a professional from Angie get the job done more efficiently, but they also are people that you can support within your community as local businesses. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job is done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects easy. Consider Angie your hub for all your home improvement needs. They can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. 
Angie has cost guides that will tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area. And the app is free and easy to use. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. All right, two more topics before we get out of here. Clippers Celtics. So I've kind of talked in my contender tiers and stuff about these like different archetypes of teams, right? And specifically among the contenders, to me, there's two archetypes. There's the big traditional playoff teams, right? These teams have huge front courts. They kind of like play like a rock fight style of basketball, right? Like this is your Milwaukee Bucks. This is kind of Philly kind of falls into this this mold as well. This is the Denver Nuggets. This is the Minnesota Timberwolves. This is the Los Angeles Lakers, right? These big bruising front lines that are built more around the traditional uh, basketball build, right? And then we have like these perimeter-oriented teams. These are the teams that like, they don't really have excellent rim protection, but they just have a boatload of guys that are that are you know uh, uh, multi-level scores that can mix people up off the dribble, that can attack closeouts, that can play driving kick basketball, and they're typically a little more thin and they're typically smaller, but they're typically a hell of a lot more skilled. And generally speaking, like either team can beat the other if they exploit their advantage, if they control like. Again, styles make fights, but it's whichever style wins the fight, right? Like it doesn't really like quickness versus size. Well, if the big guy weaponizes his size more than the quick guy can weaponize his quickness, the big guy's going to win or vice versa, right? But like this was an interesting example of the two top teams that I have in that perimeter oriented archetype. I did my, uh, I kind of redid my contender rankings last weekend with the Nerd Sesh guys, and I had the Nuggets at one, the Celtics at two, the Bucks at three, and I had the Clippers at four. And so this is the two teams in that top four that are of that archetype competing against each other. And then again, like the Clippers too, like they, uh, they've won a lot of games, but the, a lot of the, so there've been some games where like Kawhi has been out for major matchups against, uh, against kind of like higher profile teams. This was a good example of an opportunity for them to, to add just another layer of legitimacy to their success. And it could not have come at a worse time because they just played a back-to-back in Toronto the night before. I texted my buddy Law Murray, who covers the Clippers for the Athletic, and I'm like, are they all playing tonight? And they're like, he he told me that Paul George was coming off of kind of like an ankle issue and that he was questionable for the Toronto game and that he ended up still playing. And I was like, man, like that's so lame that that this game is going to be kind of like a little bit uh, clouded by the back-to-back thing. We also have Kristaps Porzingis out with the uh, with the ankle injury, right? And that, for the record, that's the one big difference between the Celtics and those other kind of perimeter-oriented teams is they have Kristaps Porzingis. He's the one thing that kind of like changes everything about what about what that team does. It's the it's the true difference maker, and it's one of the big reasons why I have them in my top tier of contenders alongside Denver. It's not the same Boston team from years past. It's that Boston team with a legit stretch big. He's their second best on-off guy on the team. And that became a big theme in this particular game. The Clippers, particularly in that third quarter run, were relentlessly attacking Al Horford in pick and roll. He's just a little too slow, just a little too small, and it's not a, a shot at Al Horford. It's just the phase of his career that he's in, right? Like, it, it, And it just goes to show you how different the Celtics look 
when Porzingis is not out there, just how important he is. And for the record, like that's that's the case with all these teams, right? Like if Denver loses one of their starters, I I, I think that fundamentally changes their title chances in a big way, regardless of which starter it is. Same thing goes for Milwaukee. Same thing goes for Boston. Same thing goes for the Clippers, the Lakers, all these teams. Nobody in this this field is good enough to be able to afford losing an important player. But I thought you saw it tonight just exactly how important Kristaps Porzingis is. And like Al Horford actually this season has a negative on-off rating for the Celtics. And it just goes to show you the difference between those two and what they can do. First of all, Porzingis is a type of pick-and-pop player that actually draws attention from the defense. There are a lot of like pick and pop bigs that teams will concede jumpers to. Al Horford is one of those guys. When Al Horford picks and pops, you just kind of live with the results. Porzingis, between his ability to uh, actually attack mismatches in the post successfully and his uh, skill just as a pick and pop big, just kind of fundamentally changes their defense. And it, it because of the difference in size between him and a typical perimeter player, it's going to lead to more traditional coverages, meaning they won't switch, which will force an over-the-top uh, 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 you know, pursuit from a player. That was one of the big themes in this game was the Clippers switching stagnated a lot of the screening actions that Boston was running, which specifically baits Boston into their worst tendencies, which is when they get to that point, they have a tendency to take a lot of really tough, either quick catch and shoot threes that aren't that open or tough pull up jump shots. They, they lack the the kind of discipline to be like, they're switching. We got to find the smallest guy. We got to get rim pressure to try to get the defense into rotation so that we can play drive and kick basketball. Right. Porzingis, because of the difference in size, you're not going to switch that most of the time. It's going to be more like what the Clippers were doing with the uh, um, uh, with actions that involved Horford. They're running a drop. They're 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 chasing over the top, right? And so that's that kind of goes to show you with Porzingis, he just gives you the ability to make the Clippers play a different type of defense, right? But like that went a long way in this particular game. Porzingis being out, attacking Horford and pick and roll as much as they did, the switching to stagnate Boston. Um, and then honestly, like if you really start to get down to it, I think the, the Celtics are the most talented team in the league. I think that's pretty clear. And I think the Celtics down the roster are more talented than the Clippers are. But if you look at the top guys, it's like, is Kawhi Leonard better than Jason Tatum? Yeah, he just is. He just is. Is Paul George better than Jalen Brown? Yeah, I think so. And it just goes to show you, like, especially in higher leverage environments, the top guys matter more. That's been one of the biggest problems for the Celtics over the years. It's like just Tatum runs into Steph and then kind of stalls out. Tatum runs into Jimmy Butler and then kind of stalls out. And like specifically in a playoff environment, whoever has the best player on the floor does actually matter quite a bit. And it's one of the biggest question marks surrounding the Celtics in general. Will they have the best player in a series against the Bucks? No, they won't. Will they have the best series uh, player in a series against the Sixers? Yeah, Tatum's outplayed Joel Embiid pretty consistently. I, I think we can state that unequivocally. Would uh, Jason Tatum be the best player in a series against the Miami Heat? Like, it's a toss-up. Some years he outplays Jimmy Butler, some years he doesn't. Say he gets out of the conference and goes into the West. Is he the best player in a series with Denver? No. Is he a, the best player in a series with the Clippers? No. Is he the best player in a series with the Lakers? I don't know. Like, I think Tatum's a better regular season player than both LeBron and AD. But in a playoff setting, I think you are you may very well take both of them. Right? So, like, it just goes to show you, like, how that can how that can play a bigger role down the line. In a game like this, the, it, it, like, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are just better two-way basketball players. 
than Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown. And, and that goes a long way towards that dynamic. Uh, the, the Clippers have arguably been the best team in the league after the Harden trade. Not by record, but just in terms of the, the, the amount of impressive wins that they've been putting up. This Daniel Tice signing has been a home run. Like, like obviously he came in as a result of an injury, but like his ability to pick and pop, once again, the same kind of concept that we talked about earlier involving the coverages, like his ability to pick and pop just opens things up in terms of the driving lanes, especially with James Harden in pick and roll. But I thought when I was watching that game today, like I thought it was a textbook example of two teams that play a similar style, but the Clippers are disciplined and deliberate about getting the right shots and the Celtics are not. Now, before we go too negative on the Celtics, because I, I'm not changing my contender ranking based on this particular game, Porzingis being out is a huge deal. They need him to win the title. They just do. He is the difference maker between the, the, the Celtics and these other teams at the top of the league. Boston was also really sloppy. They were really sloppy in transition defense. They kept getting beat down the floor. They were turning the basketball over. I thought also, like, it was a textbook example of a game where the scoreboard doesn't really properly reflect the difference between the two teams because I, I thought the Celtics kind of lost spirit a little bit. And a lot of times when that happens, it can be a landslide. When one team is playing with confidence and another team is playing utterly without it, it can the gap can build pretty wide. And then like it, you could play again and the confidence dynamic can you know flip and then it could be completely different, right? Um, but yeah, really, really interesting game. Shout out the Clippers. That was a how many times have you seen teams in the NBA this year be like, oh, we're on a back-to-back on the road against a really good team? Ah, screw it. Let's just go home. You know, let's just let's float through this game and get out of here. And that's not what happened. They showed up. They kicked the Celtics' ass. I thought it was really impressive. All right, before we get out of here, I wanted to talk for a minute about these scoring bursts around the NBA. So uh, I actually watched the end of that uh, Mavericks-Hawks game last night. It was hilarious as Luka was just torching the Hawks in single coverage and the Hawks were putting forth one of the more embarrassing defensive efforts I've ever seen. And then suddenly when Luca gets into these like mid sixties, the Hawks are like, okay, now we're going to play defense. And like, they're sitting in a stance and they're making extra rotations and they're doing all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, this is kind of embarrassing. Like, like when it came to winning the game, you weren't overly interested in competing. Uh, but now that it's about stopping Luca from getting a record now, now you're all, you know, deeply invested, but it wasn't just that we had Devin Booker, uh, go for 60 plus. I had a, I saw a stat that was completely bonkers. I can't remember the exact number, but it was like 23 times Devin Booker has made six threes in a game and not made a seventh. Like that's legitimately crazy. Like, think about that. Like that would have been weird after the 10th time and it's happened 20 plus times. And then he ended up, uh, missing a tough pull up three at the buzzer, um, in the loss of the Pacers. But like, we also had a 70 piece from Joel Embiid a few, uh, what was that, like a week ago or so. But here's the thing. What was bothering me the most as we were watching that was everyone talking about how scoring is overinflated in the NBA and you know people talking about how it's bad television and all this different stuff. A lot of like negative stuff, which is weird to me because like my first instinct is is to say, how about we just have some fun? It's January, guys. It's January. We are halfway through this thing. Not even halfway when you factor in the playoffs. Like, can we just have some fun? Can we just sit there and enjoy it? I enjoyed watching that game last night. Like, the second piece of it is so much of this, so much of this revisionist history as it pertains to what NBA basketball used to be like drives me crazy. And I've been dealing with this my entire life because 
obviously I grew up around the game and uh, over the years I've played with a lot of older basketball players, you know, just, you know, um, uh, like just at pickup runs, I'd be chatting with them on the sideline and we'd talk NBA hoops and a consistent thing is like, oh, these guys back then were way better. Um, uh, you know, the officiating was, it was more pure for the game. Like the, the, the ball movement was better that this was better. Like everything used to be better, which fundamentally I just disagree with. I mean, you don't have to look around very hard to find out that all professional sports are evolving in a positive way. Right. Like, like, do you remember what NFL offenses used to look like, like 15 years ago? And then you look at it today in the, in the different packages they use and the different like motion concepts and shovel passes and all this, like uh, the route concepts and all these like, like, like incredibly complex ways that, that NFL offenses can work. Right. And you've got guys like Shanahan and McVay out there that are like transcendently uh, uh, that are transcendent offensive minds that are, that are changing the game as we know it. Right. You watch major league baseball and it used to be like when a guy threw hundred miles an hour, it was a big deal. And now like every team has like four relievers that can throw hundred miles an hour. And like two of them have a nasty two seamer that dives off to the right, like 12 inches and nobody can hit it. You know what I mean? Like, like, like big shock. We've worked on biomechanics and we know how to pitch better now than we used to like, and then NBA offenses, like, Everything about guarding in the NBA right now is so much more difficult than it used to be. Doris Burke was doing a bit about it in the first half of the Lakers-Warriors game tonight. Like, to start with, the sheer amount of offensive skill on the floor is way, way, way above what it used to be. And this is something that slowly took place, especially as a result of guys like Steph Curry and Damian Lillard in that in that mid-2010s stretch when they were kind of like changing the way guards played between Luca or Luca. Well, Luca's later, but like LeBron bringing in kind of heliocentric basketball. When LeBron came into the league, he was running along the baseline off of, uh, off of floppy action, which is like, like just running off of baseline screens as a, like a two guard looking for catch and shoot jump shots. That's not that, now Luca gets drafted and it's like, here's the keys to the offense, Luca. We're going to put two shooters in the weak side corner or in the, uh, in the two corners. We're going to put another shooter on the weak side wing and we're going to have a, a, a rim runner for you. And we're just going to construct an offense around, around your strengths. It's just different now. It used to be that you had big bruising power forwards that were primarily in the game just to beat the hell out of people. And now it's like Harrison Barnes plays the four, Right. Now it's like Pascal Siakam plays the four. It's just different now. Jonathan Kaminga plays the four. You're getting high-powered offensive players at at least four position groups, and then now we're seeing the rise of these offensive fulcrum centers from the perimeter. Sabonis and Anthony Davis and Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid and like it is you know, uh, it is just <laughs> it is so much harder now. And then to top it all off. You give anybody any space these days and they're hitting a pull-up jump shot in your grill. You die on a screen for a second, the dude's rising from 27 feet and hitting a tough pull-up jump shot. It, it is just objectively harder than it used to be. And then when defenses get into rotation, when, when, a, when one guy gets beat off the dribble, it just turns into this chaos situation and everyone can shoot. So you're trying to chase a guy off the line and you're trying to do all this stuff. Like, it is just hard to play defense now. So between how difficult it is to guard, 
between the way offenses are set up to actually accentuate your best player's strengths, because guess what? We're just better at it now. We are better at coaching NBA offense now than we used to be. And then the the last piece of it that I wanted to hit, like when it comes to these scoring totals, this is kind of what January basketball can be like sometimes. I don't see dudes putting up 70 in the playoffs. Schematically, they'll take it away. If a guy, like, look at the Lakers-Warriors series last year. Look at all the defensive adjustments that took place just simply because the Lakers were struggling to guard Steph Curry and pick and roll. Every single adjustment for both teams was like, the Lakers trying to figure out how to deal with Steph, the Warriors trying to figure out how to deal with Anthony Davis, and you're all making these adjustments, and you would never let a guy just just torch you for 60, 65 points. This is January basketball. Joel Embiid did it, at, wasn't it against the San Antonio Spurs? The the uh, Luca did it against the Atlanta Hawks. Devin Booker did it against one of the worst defensive teams in the league in the Indiana Pacers. Like a big part of this is just January hoops, like good scores going off against bad defensive teams that don't have a lot to play for. Which, by the way, also happened 20 years ago. This is not a new trend. This has been a consistent theme throughout NBA history. So, like, to kind of put a bow on it, like, how about when this happens, we just sit back and be basketball fans instead of trying to rewrite NBA history? Like, I have my issues with the NBA. I don't like the way it's officiated. Like, I think officiating is a massive problem in the NBA. Just at the end of regulation, there were, like, three atrocious bad calls in that Lakers-Warriors game. That Anthony Davis rebound foul was really bad. The inadvertent whistle. Draymond Green clubs Anthony Davis in the face. A clear flagrant doesn't doesn't get called for it. Like like officiating in the NBA is just a, a, a it's just it's 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 an abomination. But like as as a matter of the game, the the players, the coaching, the schemes, everything's getting better. It's always getting better. So stop. Being the angry old man on your front porch talking about how basketball is not the same anymore. Because I promise you, if you go back 15 years and just pick five random January games, they're going to be ugly as all hell. <laughs> like, I promise you, it wasn't utopia basketball back then. All right, I'm off my soapbox. All right, guys, we're going to get out of here for tonight. As always, I sincerely appreciate you guys for supporting the show. We will be back on Monday to do our power rankings and some game breakdowns. I will see you guys then. Enjoy your Sunday. Enjoy the title games over at the NFL. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. 
Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddy? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.